0: What's your favorite breakfast food? Are you a a bacon and eggs guy? Or maybe you're a a bagel and cream cheese gal. Maybe you're a Pop-Tart kid. That's that's your your vibe. Maybe you're a cold pizza college student. There's an old song uh, that says this. Love my wife and love my baby Love my biscuits sopped in gravy That's an interesting order of love, right? Wife, baby, gravy I mean, the good thing is at least the gravy wasn't first, right? But you know, if, if we're honest That is oftentimes the way we approach love these days You know, our, our love seems to be marked By putting family and gravy in the same conversation. We've, we seem to have belittled the majesty of love in some way. As another old song says, love don't mean a thing. <laughs> we, we've lessened love a little bit. But love does mean a thing. Like, we know that, right? Love does mean something. I was reading a story this week about a, a man who called one of his mentors... And he was telling his mentor his his story, this this mess he was in, this difficult, hard mess. And he was going through all the details, all the, the ugliness of what was happening. And when he got through, his mentor just looked at him and said, Look, I just want you to know that I love you. And the man said he just wasn't prepared for how much it impacted him just to hear those words. I love you. I love you. Look, for our church family, I just want you to know that, that I do. I, I love you. I, I, am, I am just as, as flustered and frustrated with everything that's going on, and, and I promise we're doing everything we can to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. But I just want to be sure, because I've prayed this for you all week long, I just want you to know, wherever you are, whatever's happening, that I do love you. And I'm, I'm not the only one. Love is true and love is real. Now look, I'm not trying to say that, you know, we need to be sappy Sammy and, you know, all you really need is someone to hold you and tell you that everything's all right. Okay, that's that's not what we're talking about here. But you would have to be an ignorant egomaniac or a stubborn fool to deny or ignore your need to give love, and your need to receive love. You need love. You need to receive it, and you need to give it. Now, what kind of love are we talking about? Well, this morning we begin an adventure in the place in the Bible known as 1 Corinthians 13. Now, everybody from Antony and Cleopatra to Posh and Bex to Shrek and Fiona have probably used some of the words of 1 Corinthians 13 in their wedding ceremony, but this is not just wedding words. About 1,900 years ago, the Apostle Paul wrote the words of chapter 13 to some folks in ancient Greece in a place called Corinth. Now, someone might be thinking, what in the world does some old letter from ancient Greece have to do with the chaos of the world in 2020? Serious? We're going to pull out some old book and try to find some advice for a modern pandemic, for a modern economy. That sounds a bit foolish. Well, listen to just this brief bio on the lifestyles of the people of Corinth. Okay? See if you can make any connections. Their lifestyles were marked with impatience, unkindness, jealousy, boasting, arrogance, Shamefulness, selfishness, touchiness, harboring grudges over wrongs done, resentfulness, and malice. Yep, nothing there for us, right? (laughs) None of those things are anywhere in, in our homes or in our churches or in our state houses or our school boards or our job places or anywhere else, right? I mean, None of those things are around in 2020, right? I mean, surely this advice that Paul had for things like that will not help us today. Hopefully you're picking up on my sarcasm just a little bit. British evangelist Alan Redpath once said that the light and heat of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, the light and heat was was so powerful that a person can get a spiritual suntan From just soaking up its truth So It's summer Let's see how much we can soak up Of this truth 1 Corinthians chapter 13 Beginning with verse 1 Paul writes If I speak with tongues of men and of angels But do not have love I have become a noisy gong Or a clanging cymbal So what are the tongues of men and angels? Well, it's more than just a southern accent. There's more to it. It's it's supernatural in nature. And so, generally speaking, I'm just going to kind of throw out three categories of how people look at tongues and the, the teaching of tongues in the Bible. General categories. The first one would be uh, along these lines, that, that tongues in the Bible is when someone is supernaturally able to speak or understand, interpret, or translate uh, a people's language or a dialect. That they are not normally, but, but maybe suddenly, or, or maybe normally as a pattern. That they have this supernatural ability to understand other languages Not that they, you know, took a bunch of Rosetta Stone classes on Wednesday night at church But there is something supernatural about their ability to understand languages they don't speak And they're able to speak them, interpret them, translate them Something for the good of others and for the good of the gospel so That's, that's kind of one category Another category is that there is this supernatural language that only God or angels could understand, and the only way a human could understand it is if someone else supernaturally interpreted that language. Okay, so a a supernatural language that requires supernatural interpretation. Otherwise, it's only something that God would understand. That's kind of a second category. Again, these are general. And then a third category would be more like gibberish. That is non-supernatural, that is used in the middle of a religious service, usually fueled by strategic greed or emotional fuzziness. Okay, so just three categories there, you know, interpreting, speaking languages, a supernatural language not understood by humans, or just a bunch of gibberish for the sake of being gibberish or showing off, or however you want to say it. So just kind of three categories like that. Now, Whichever way you may lean toward any of those interpretations, none of those interpretations are what Paul's specifically talking about. What Paul's saying is this take any of them, and if you don't have love, they're a bunch of junk. But they're useless. So, if, if we were to break that down in, in those categories, let's just say that, that you could speak with the theological excellence of Martin Luther or Jonathan Edwards. But if you don't have love Then you're just a a chain-rattling Arrogant detailer of doctrine Or maybe let's say that you can speak With the the charismatic sincerity of the angel Gabriel But if you don't have love Then you're just a, a noisy Potentially misleading Describer of distraction Or maybe you can speak with the holy-sounding authority of an excited, street-preaching superhero. But if you don't have love, then you're just a loud mouth clanging super zero. So let's just kind of think through this a little bit. In the next chapter, chapter 14, Paul says something kind of interesting. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 27. He says, If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or at the most three, and in each turn and one must interpret, verse 28. But if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. So without completely unpacking this, just kind of a surface picture is, it seems as if Paul's saying, if you using your perceived spiritual freedom distract somebody from the gospel, then stop. That's not loving. Don't, Don't distract people from Jesus. It might sound super spiritual. What you're doing might look super spiritual. It might make you seem like you're connecting with the angels. But without love, you are a noisy gong. A clanging symbol. In Luke chapter eighteen, Jesus told the story of a super religious person and a tax collector. A tax collector is usually known for being super greedy. And the the super religious person and the tax collector were both at church praying. You know, let's just say it was Sunday morning. And the super religious person, boy, he's he's on stage, man. He's 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 going, you know. Boy, his prayers it's loud and. And he's talking about how, how pure he has been in his doctrine all week long. He's talking about how he's stayed away, distanced himself from the truly sinful people. And, and he spent all of his time discussing theology on Zoom calls with his friends. What's well, very, very important. But the tax collector can't even lift his head up. He's, he's repentant. He's so overwhelmed when he begins to consider how much he rebelled against the grace of God just that week. And he's begging God for mercy. The first guy, his prayer was a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. The second guy, the tax collector, he was praying out of love. Love. What kind of love? Well, the Greeks had four different ways that they talked about love. There was intimate love, there was family love, and there was friend love. Now, none of those are the love that Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about what's known as agape love. Agape love is a self-denying love. It's a love that when it's rejected, it keeps loving. Like, it, it doesn't stop. See, agape love is is a love that you choose And you're choosing to give value to another person Not because they're like you Not because they agree with you but, But you're choosing to give value to them Because of something else Now why would you do that? Why would you choose to give someone love? Like there's not a reason for you to give them love But you choose to value them. You you choose to give them love even if they are somebody that does not agree with your theology. You choose to value them. You choose to give them love even if they don't vote for the same candidate that you vote for. You choose to value them. You choose to give them and show them love even if their opinions of the pandemic are different than yours. Now, why would you do that? Why would you choose to give love to someone? Why would you choose to put value on someone who is not like you or who doesn't agree with you, maybe on anything? Why would you do that? This is what Jesus said. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's a period on the end of that sentence it, it wasn't meant to be a suggestion so how can you love your neighbor in july 2020 how do you do that here's the thing you do it the exact same way they did in, in ancient greece in ancient rome and in the garden of eden and any other time in history it's it's the same Now, over the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years, there's this kind of simple definition that that has always helped me in moving my mind and heart to be triggered and, and to engage more with what it means to love your neighbor. And it goes like this. John Piper writes, it seems to demand that all the longings that I have for my own safety and my own health and my own success and my own happiness, I now feel for the other person as though he were me. Now, at first glance, that kind of sounds like family love or, or friend love, right? I mean, you're, you're wanting good things for other people. But the reality is, this, this picture is good fuel for agape love because it moves us toward self denial, it, it moves us toward not looking at ourselves and, and looking to someone else. You know, unless it's Jeopardy, I, I hardly ever watch TV. And I'm, I'm not on social media a whole lot, a little bit here and there. But even just this past week, just a casual look that I've had at news media and social media, i tell you one thing I have not found a lot of, and that's love. Now, I'm talking about agape love, this self-denying love. You, you don't see a lot of it in the media. Now... Not to hurt your feelings, but some of you just nodded with me. Oh, yeah, man, that that mainstream media. Before you go off on that rant in your mind, how about consider for a moment your mainstream media. Like, not what you're watching, but what you're producing. Consider the things that you have posted on social media this week. How much self-denying love has been there? How much agape love has been there? Think about the, the conversations you had on the phone this week or the conversations you've had by text or by email or, or maybe your social distancing conversations or maybe conversations you had when you weren't social distancing. How much self-denying love were in those conversations? How, how much self-denying agape love was part of those chats. We are quick to rail, but we are slow to reflect. We're quick to criticize everything that we hear from Washington or Walmart, but we're slow to look in the mirror. We, we are. We're just slow. It'd be good for us to remember this truth from the Bible. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. God is... Opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you can speak in the language that sounds like the angels of heaven, but you don't have love, you sound loud and arrogant and annoying, and God most likely is probably opposing you. That's that's not where you want to be. That's, that's not the vibe you want. Now, let me stop for just a moment and, and be sure I make this clear. We're not talking about perfection here, okay? We're, we're not talking about perfect agape love. I mean, I haven't had perfect agape love this week. You know, I'm, I'm struggling just like most of you. I'm overwhelmed just like most of you. And I, I had my first couple of meltdowns this week, you know, and I don't want to have another one You know this week my love, uh looked a little more a than agape, okay? So we're not talking about perfection. That's that's not the goal. None of us are perfect But we always need to be asking the question. What's the normal pattern of life? Who are we normally? inside of a pandemic or outside of a pandemic is there evidence of self-denying love in your life if you're a christian there has to be there there has to be evidence there there just has to be and if there's not evidence then just know to the world no matter what christian t-shirt you may have on no matter what christian bumper sticker you may have on your car No matter how many times you post a Bible verse on social media, if you post 25 things railing against everybody in the world, then just know your voice is a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And that's not good for the kingdom of God. And you know what? It's not good for you either. So let's quit our Chuck Barris impersonations. And and let's pray that God would humble us. Let's let's pray that that God would help us to love. Paul really wants us to get this. He really wants us to love. So he's going to move us a little deeper. Look what what he says going on in verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Can you imagine having faith to move a mountain? I mean, I don't, I don't have faith to, to move that fifth donut away from my face back into the box, okay? I can't even imagine, you know, moving a mountain with my faith. But don't miss the punch of this. If you are able, by your faith, to in an amazing, miraculous way move a mountain... But you don't have love, it's nothing. Someone said that it would be like you might be able to move a mountain with your faith, but if you don't have love, you'd probably drop it in the middle of the road where everybody's trying to use. Or you might even drop it on people themselves. So the, the faith and the, and the miracle without love is of no value. It, it profits nothing. Without love, speaking in supernatural spiritual language, It's nothing. Without love prophesying or, or preaching or, or understanding the deeper things of theology or, or having faith that seems to perform mighty miracles without love, those things are nothing. I mean, Paul's not being confusing here. He's being clear. And I hope you're hearing what's on the other side of all this nothing, the alternative. See, the alternative is that love is everything. Everything. Without love, it's, it's nothing. But love is everything. That's, that's what love is. It's, it's everything. But think about how that plays out in life. You know, if I can go on the CDC website, I can pull all those numbers together, and man, I can, I can filter them and call foul and, and point out all the errors in their statistics, but I don't have love. I got nothing. If I can take every quote from every politician and every pastor and every coach and and every school board member and every parent and every student and and every person anywhere who's posted or said anything, if I can take those quotes, and boy, I can dissect them and I can deconstruct them, I can show all the faults and the foolishness and what they're saying, but have not love, I got nothing. Nothing. Paul is kind and gracious to be sure that we get this message. And so he pushes us just a little further. But now he's going to hit where it hurts. Look at verse 3. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. So now Paul's hitting us in the debit card, all right? He's, he's getting it at what really hurts. And this is weird. I mean, really, this is, this is a strange way to pull us deeper. I mean, think through this. It's as if Paul is saying, you know what? If you were able to give enough food so that the world does not go hungry, but you don't have love, you've gained nothing. If you can donate enough money to make sure that all plagues and all pandemics go away, but you don't have love, you've gained nothing. I mean, that just sounds crazy, right? But, but then he, he kicks it up even more. Instead of, of getting on social media and ranting that you are somehow losing your religious freedom, if instead... You were burned at the stake for standing firm in your religious beliefs, but you don't have love, you've gained nothing. I mean, Paul is making sure that we're honest here, okay? He's making sure that we get into the conversation. But truthfully, this sounds crazy. So is Paul saying, hey, don't give your money to the poor? Don't, don't give your possessions to the poor. Don't, don't help the poor. Don't, don't try to heal people from a plague or a pandemic. Is that what Paul's saying? Is, is Paul saying, look, don't give money to missions. Don't give money to the church. Don't give money to the poor. Don't, don't help people who are in need. Don't stand up for biblical truth. That, is that what he's saying? No, he's not saying that at all. Really what he's doing, he's just very uniquely expanding on the words of Jesus. This is what Jesus said. Matthew 16, verse 26. For what will it profit a man, or a woman, or a college student, or a teenager, or a child, whoever? What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? The answer to those two questions is nothing. Nothing. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? It won't profit him nothing. He'll gain nothing. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Nothing. You you can't give anything. So what if you were to gain clean water for the whole world? What if you were to gain induction into the honor society? What if you were to gain the winning score of the game? What if you were to gain a new smartphone or a pay raise or better health insurance or escape from a natural disaster or escape from an automobile accident or escape from a terrible disease? What if you're able to gain all of those things, but things are not right between you and God? What have you gained? Well, you've gained some super good things. I mean, that's a pretty good list of things. It's, it's good. But you've only gained good things that you'll have until you eventually die. Well, that's why we tune in to the Holland Avenue stream. That preacher, he's so encouraging. Thanks for the old shot in the arm there. But, but truthfully, that's, that's the picture that Jesus is trying to help us see. He's trying to help us have some hope. Today. Because what Jesus is saying is that the greatest prophet in this world, even if it's spiritual, supernatural language, even if it's understanding the the deep theological things of God, even if it is giving all your stuff away or, or helping the poor, even if what you're doing is even being tortured or persecuted to death for your faith but you don't have love, you've gained nothing. He didn't just say it one time, he's saying it multiple times because he wants you to know that if you have all of these things, if you profit all of these things, if your opinion is seen as right in the news media, but you don't have love, things are not right with you and God, then you have nothing. You don't have the love of eternal life. Now, that's kind of an important last part there, the love of eternal life. What does that mean? Well, I want to repeat something that we mentioned last week. It's super important and I really want you to engage with it. Jason Meyer said this, "The glory of God and the pride of man will collide at one of two crash sites: hell or the cross." Either we will pay for our sins in hell or Christ will pay for our sins on the cross. You cannot have agape love unless you collide with the cross. See, the beauty of the tragedy of the cross is that Jesus on purpose loved you and gave himself up for you so that you might have and enjoy and embrace. The ultimate answer for everything in your life. The ultimate answer for everything in your life. What is that? Well, it breaks down like this. I am saved. I am being saved. And one day, I will gloriously and completely and ultimately be saved. See, with salvation in Jesus, you have everything. And without it, you have nothing, especially true, real, lasting love. But with Christ, you have everything because salvation in Jesus becomes your ultimate answer to every single moment in life. Every moment. When you collide with the cross, you are ultimately colliding with the greatest moment of love in history, past, present, or future. When you collide with the cross, you are colliding with the greatest act, the greatest expression, the greatest moment of love in history. And when you collide with love like that, it kind of does something to you. Isaac Watts put it this way. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all, all of it. So, what can you do with the love of Christ today? Well, let me just say this. Don't, Don't leave it on the live stream. Take this this challenge from paul and do something with it today Like today right now How can you take some agape love toward your spouse? Towards your kids Towards your parents Towards your neighbors Toward anyone else in your life towards strangers How can you today like what are you doing this afternoon? Let's just be real. What are you doing this afternoon? Like, how can you take agape love with you this afternoon? What can you do with this love? Love is everything. It's it's everything. Eugene Peterson, years ago, developed a paraphrase of the Bible known as the message. There are times that his word choices, I think, are helpful triggers to help us take these timeless truths of the Bible and and do something with them. So so I want us to engage a little bit with, with his paraphrase of these verses. Eugene Peterson says this, If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, Revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day. And if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. There's that word again nothing. He goes on. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't have love, I've gotten nowhere. So, no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Bankrupt. Bankrupt without the grace and mercy and love of Jesus. But rich with the grace and mercy and love of Jesus. So, which are you today? Are you rich or are you bankrupt? Are you with Christ or are you without Christ? Love is everything. During the 17th century, Oliver Cromwell was the Lord Protector of England. He sentenced a a soldier to be shot for his crimes. The execution was set to be held at the ringing of the evening curfew bell but the bell didn't ring that night. The man's fiance had, had crawled up into the belfry, and she had climbed up on that clapper, and she had wrapped her body around the clapper, and, and when the clapper struck at the time that it was supposed to, there was no sound because her body was buffering the sound. Eventually, the guards found her and brought her to Cromwell she was weeping she was bruised and she was bleeding cromwell was was moved and this is what he said your lover shall live because of your sacrifice curfew shall not ring tonight look i'm i'm not telling you you have to go out and get bruised and start bleeding I'm just kind of asking a simple question. How do we know what love is? How do we know? Jesus wrapped himself around the clapper of death's bell for you. That's how we know what love is. And no matter what happens in your life today, no matter what you may face this coming week, if you are in Christ, the curfew bell will not be ringing because love has found you. And if that love has found you, it demands your soul your life you're all love is everything love is everything everything